This is episode 34 with Zane Grothy. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer turned personal trainer and coach. Each week, it is my goal to bring you a unique story of an elite athlete's mindset to help you unlock and discover your life's potential. Today, I had the chance to sit down with U.S. national team member Zane Grothy. Zane has had quite the career and is the former American record holder in both the 500 free and the 1650 freestyle. After talking with him, there's no question his mindset and the culture he's been immersed in have played pivotal roles in those record-breaking swims. Given my background in distance swimming, it was great to find commonalities that make up the unique kind of crazy that goes into a distance swimmer mindset. So without further ado, welcome on Zane. Hey Zane, it's Corey. How you doing? Hey Corey, I'm good. How are you? Good, man. You staying busy? Uh, not really, but <laughs> pretending I am. Staying in shape, hopefully. Yeah, doing my best. Are you doing more running now? I'm, I'm always curious. Just, I mean, I guess that's the closest thing you can do to stay in shape yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying. I would love, I've always had a dream of becoming a triathlete after my swimming career. Okay. Um, whether that's a professional level or you know just for recreation but I always knew I I had one leg down I got a lot of work to do on the other one so I figured this is the best time as any to uh, get better at the running so yeah, yeah. I've really been hammering that but awesome man obviously first question I had for you was kind of how you got started in the whole sport when you realized you'd be kind of at the level you currently are yeah, so when I got started in swimming, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Um, I was so I was just so young. Um, I probably could swim before I could, you know, walk or run. To be honest, um, when I was born, we were living in Southern Nevada, uh, a little bit between Las Vegas and Lake Mead. And uh, by the time I was born, my sister was already starting um, swim lessons, and my parents had owned a boat, so they wanted uh, at least both of us water safety trained. So I started as just a little infant, just a little toddler, and kind of worked my way up through the levels and the next thing I knew I was on the swim team and I was on that same swim team until I was 18 and graduated and headed off to college so nice. and it started pretty early I'd say I'd say the biggest thing that that got me going um towards the trajectory that kind of got me where I am now um I think it was I think it was definitively a race when I was six years old it was 25 butterfly um, I don't know what it is, but something kicked in, and said, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really go for it on this. Um, I went a great time, you know, almost broke the team record, and that's what kind of made me start wondering. I said, what's a team record? Oh, you know, that's kind of cool. And then started learning about like, you know, what, how far can this sport take you, and what that is. Started learning about the Olympics and you know, the American records and world records and stuff. And it kind of just lit a fire in me. I was like, wow, if, you know, I got an early start on this. If I, if I really buckle in, I could, I could be one of the best. That's kind of where it all started. Breaking team records or almost breaking team records at six is uh, pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it a funny story. They, they told me whose record I almost broke. And at six years old, I didn't understand that that was the six-year-old record I almost broke. I thought it was the current person's best time, who was probably five or six years older than me. And I strutted my stuff around that pool deck thinking I almost beat one of the fastest guys on the whole team. But, you know, it didn't matter. It, uh, it sure did justice. <laughs> hey, I mean, as long as it got you going, and uh, obviously kind of the rest is kind of history since then. Absolutely. Um, 
obviously, you know, careers can be filled with ups and downs. You can't always experience those kind of experiences. I think everyone who has been in a sport in general for as long as you have, they experience that. What kind of takeaways have you had from those years where, you know, best times weren't really coming in? And how did you find you were able to turn things around? Yeah, I've had quite a few plateaus, um, all for different reasons. I'd say the biggest thing you'll learn is how dedicated you are to the sport. You know, if if it takes, you know, just a couple times that you're not getting faster or, or getting better and it discourages you, then, you know, you'll learn that. But if it takes, you know, years on end and you're still thinking, you know, I can get better, that's another thing that you've learned about yourself. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that's kept me going is just kind of knowing, knowing that I could get through it and, and really believing in myself that I've, I've got something better coming along the way. Yeah, I think those plateaus, I mean, I experienced them myself um, at multiple points, and they're tough to break through, but when you do break through them, it just makes it all that much better on the other side of things. And You become so thankful that you stuck with it and you still went to 10 practices a week or whatever it may be. Uh, it all becomes yeah. worth it. Yeah, absolutely. They always say, you know, um, you don't truly fail until you quit. And as long as you keep trying, you know, whether it's working or not, you're always learning something. So <laughs> that's a good takeaway. Well, I'm happy you haven't, you know, thrown in the towel yet here. Um, I was reading some stuff. There's definitely points along the way that you had thought about it, uh, especially like after graduating from Auburn. What kind of kept you in it? I know you switched to IU. Was that kind of a turning point for you? Yeah, um, so my entire senior year of college, I, I didn't get any faster, didn't improve really at all, and then I, I thought the best choice uh, to make was to follow a coach that I had previously in school uh, to another university at Florida State, so I followed him out there, and for another year, I didn't progress at all, and that, you know, really took the wind out of my sails. I thought, you know, I had all the faith in the world in this coach, and because I wasn't performing better... I started doubting myself, you know, that I wasn't going to get any better. I'd reached the peak and was on my way down. But fortunately, there was that deep-seated belief in me that said, no, there's got to be something there. You know, everything that I have told myself over the years that, you know, this isn't the peak. This is this is not where I'm going to finish up. And um, at that point, I really didn't have anything to lose. I had no funding. I had, you know, no reason to stick with that coach anymore. And that gave me the opportunity to really try new things um so the biggest thing i wanted to do was train exactly the way i thought i should be training and just kind of start from scratch at that point that's what led me to indiana university and started training that way and you know hit the nail on the head a couple different ways and really took <laughs> off after that i was about to say i mean that was shortly after your time there was when you were able to break both the american record in the 500 and the mile that must have felt so rewarding like we said, as far as breaking through plateaus and that feeling, but even more so reaffirming that the level of your best time was not just your best, but the best that an American ever did in those events. How did that feel for you personally when you got to that point? Yeah, it was, it was very justifying. Um, it was never really an ultimate goal of mine. The biggest goal I've ever had was to make the Olympic team. And I only had mm, roughly 15 months after I moved to IU and really started progressing before I had to, you know, test it and try and make that 2016 team. Um, 
unfortunately I didn't make it, but I always dreamt that somewhere along the way, if I were to make an Olympic team, I'd probably be good enough to be vying for records like the American records. And it wasn't more than a year and a half later that I did double down and, and break both those records. It, it, it kind of made me realize that um, all the hard work was obviously paying off, but um, just like with any accomplishment, the, the further you get from it, the, like, the more time has passed, um, the more you can really appreciate it. And it's been about two years now, and even though both records have been broken since, um, I, can, I can honestly look back and think like, wow, even though I'm still not an Olympian, I had, I've, I've done something that at one point that no one had ever done before, you know, and in fact, I'd done it twice. And that's really something I can hang my hat on, you know, whether my career ends today or, you know, 10 years from now, I can, I'll always know I can look back at that and think, you know, I, I did it. I really did something there. Yeah. I mean, especially to break the barriers that you broke, like first ever under 408, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's with such a storied history of American swimming, like that's something to obviously really be, I guess, excited about because there's been so many great people and that have gone through these programs and done great times. It's got to be feel awesome to be able to say you were able to do that and contribute your own kind of swims yeah, to it. Definitely. I've always been a distant swimmer and I've always been aware of who's held that record and who the best racers were in that. But, you know, as far as I knew when I first learned about, you know, the 500 free record and who held it and who, who could vie for it, it was still a 408. And, you know, never did I imagine, like, you know, one day I'm going to be the guy who, who breaks that 408 mark. I'm going to be the one who does that. Never crossed my mind until it was, you know, just weeks before and thought, yeah. this is going to it's going to happen this way. I'm going to make it happen. So, yeah. What was your menti- like your mentality and your mindset going into those swims? Were you confident that you could do it or did it just kind of happen um it was it was kind of 50 50 on each um the biggest goal i had was the 1650 record and i i set i broke the record very early december but i set that goal back in february of 2017 um about uh, 10 months beforehand and i went to my coach and i said i really believe that i've got a a talent right now that could be a record and i think i want to you know taper for yards and and see if i can make that happen he said absolutely you know we'll obviously train through the summer try and make the world team and everything but then that'll be the focus coming in the fall so going into the 1650 i def i really set my goal time like seven or eight seconds underneath it and by training for that um it really it was kind of one of those things where it's like shoot for the stars land on the moon kind of thing i really knew that even even with a subpar performance i could i thought i could break that record it wasn't until about three or four weeks before that taper meet that my speed was really developing as well and the 500 record was always kind of the back burner but it was never the main goal not until i really started sparking up about a month out and thought you know i i should focus on this too. really make sure i develop the right radius strategy and 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 wrap my head around um breaking that record as well yeah, it's tough, I feel like, to be able to be great at both of those dis- distances because oftentimes it's... Uh, I love the 500 myself. That was one of my better events. One that where the distance swimmers tried to come down and swim and the mid-D guys tried to like go up in distance and see kind of how long they could hold on. I thought it was like the perfect mix of 
speed and endurance um, for me personally. I'm sure you probably felt very similar. Yes, absolutely. It's it's kind of a unique thing where the best way you could describe it is like it's it's getting close to a sprint. You're really getting close <laughs> to top speed, but you have to sustain that for you know over four minutes. Um, so yeah, it's got a special niche in there for the swimmers. I was about to say, you speak it as a true distance swimmer. Um, it takes a, a unique person to view the 500 as an all-out sprint. When I told, when I <laughs> yeah, told teammates that. <laughs> my background would definitely be coming from the longer races. Yeah, I was the same way. And I remember telling kids that like in high school swimming. I was like, oh, yeah, this is just like a sprint for me. And they were like, wait, what? Like It's the longest <laughs> event in the event program. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I got the same looks with the same mindset. Yep. Um, you know, obviously, I love the mental challenge that, you know, swimming my own race, but then balancing that with the other people in the pool, especially in the longer swims, like in the 1500 and the 1650. Did you have any tips to kind of keep you balanced between the two, where you were focused on what you were doing, but also kind of eyeing what the seven other people were doing in the pool yeah uh absolutely i was doing i was doing both and at very strategic times you know freestyle itself is very unique in the fact that you are consistently looking to the side at your competitors you know if you if you you know they're in your field of view unlike the other strokes um you'd have to kind of break technique a little bit to do that whereas freestyle it's built right in and uh the, the way my race strategies have kind of developed over my years growing up as a distance swimmer is um, I've always been best when I'm in position to pass someone and sprint out sprint them at the end. Um, so always coming from behind. So my, my race strategies, whether it's the 500 or the, the 1650 or anywhere in the mix, has always been, you know, focus on myself and setting up the race the right way. Sometimes that's the first, you know, 500 of a 1650 or the first 200 of a 500 it's kind of just you know focus on myself if that means the close my eyes every time i take a breath so i don't actually see them then so be it you know just focus on myself but once i get to that that halfway point and i'm i'm set up right and everything's going the way i want then i start opening up myself to the possibility that you know now i'm in the race who am i going to try and pass who am i going to try and hold off and and really you know make it fun yeah, it's always interesting to hear different people's kind of strategies to it. And I mean, I'm sure you knew people like I did that from the get go, they just were like, I need to go and get out ahead and then hold on. Um, mm -hmm. I was more similar to the way you just described of as long as I do enough in the first half of things to kind of be in the mix, I had confidence in the backside of things. Um, I think another unique challenge in kind of your races are obviously they can span from four to 14 minutes and some change. Did you do anything to make sure that mentally you weren't wandering during the race? Because it's for that long, it's hard to be absolutely locked in on what you're doing, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, I get that question. I get a similar question very, very often from the younger swimmers. How do you stay focused, you know, whether it's a long race or a long practice? And, you know, I always kind of throw back at them and be like, well, if you lose focus, you're not doing it right, you know, if you're letting your mind wander. Um, the best way I could probably describe it is it's, it's just like balancing something, whether it's, you know, yourself balancing in a handstand or, 
you know, it's something bouncing on your hand or your foot or your nose or anything like that. As long as you're focused and you're really locked in, you'll keep it balanced. It's, you know, whether, whether you're tired or you've lost focus or whatever it is, as long as you're locked in, you'll keep it balanced. And it's the same way with distance swimming, whether it's a long practice or a long race, you gotta, you gotta be gauging everything. There's all these little checkpoints where, you know, it's like if you were to be flying a plane, there's all these gauges and all these switches. You're always, you know, checking each one a little bit here and there. My, my, breathing right am, am i got the head in the right position of the technique am i kicking too much and am i keeping pace do i need to you know streamline longer there's just innumerable things that you're constantly kind of checking in on and everything and as long as you remember to go through those checklists what you need to work on what's habit what's not and you're staying focused on the right effort the right technique and and not losing touch with the race and everything as long as you're kind of locked in and remembering all those dials need to be checked um then you'll stay focused and you'll stay in it. Do you think your best performances throughout your career, you were able to do that better than, you know, the performances that weren't making that list? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I'd say the biggest thing is if you can make a habit of checking all those dials and staying locked in during practices, it makes it that much easier during races. You know, Mm -hmm. the best races I've ever had were when I knew what I had to do, but when I got done with the race, I looked back and thought, you know, I wasn't really consciously thinking of a lot of the things I needed to pay attention to. It happened habitually, which meant that I was locked in during practices and I got it ingrained in myself so that there were very few things I actually needed to check up on. Like, am I going hard enough? Do I need to go harder? You know, the simple things when it comes to the race. Yeah. Did you have any like pre meet or pre race um, routines that you kind of fell back on to help you stimulate that practice feeling, that habit that you developed? Yeah, any, any, yeah, any good routine is built off of, you know, confidence-building performances from the past. You know, you look back at something that always worked well, and, you know, like, that worked well. I'm going to try and repeat that and maybe change one thing, you know, a little bit of, you know, scientific process there. Um, uh, yeah, the, the biggest thing for me is, you know, make sure I get a little stretching in, Make sure I got good communication with my coaches so they know how I'm feeling in the moment and what, you know, whether I need to be pushed, like, oh, let's make an aggressive race strategy or, you know, let's kind of stay conservative, where, where you can go from there. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the biggest thing for me is just kind of running over my checklist before I get on the blocks. You know, the conscious things that you can think about before you're in the zone is, you know, okay, I felt tight this morning, so make sure that I, you know, take short strokes or long strokes or, you know, um, my energy levels were good, so, you know, it, don't be afraid to be a little more aggressive up front and stuff like that, just kind of making sure, like a pre-flight kind of stuff, um, going through the checklist, making sure everything's raring to go, everything's ticking, and then so that when you get to that moment, you know that if there's one thing you got to think about, that that's the one thing you can fo- put all your focus on, and then you're ready to go. Yeah, I think the one thing you said there that stands out to me especially is that you really made sure to key in your coaches and make them aware of kind of what's going on. I think oftentimes younger, inexperienced competitors and athletes just forget to, you know, their coaches are there to help them um, and they don't have to go about it all by themselves. Like, let them know about how you're feeling and they can offer you some feedback and try to right the wrongs before they happen and unfold in the race or the game or whatever it may be. 
Yeah, that is that is a huge piece of advice that I give to younger swimmers is have better communication with your coach. You know, it's it's natural for me being an introvert to want to solve any problems that I have by myself and not mm-hmm. burden any of the people without that. But you, one thing you got to learn, and I've learned the hard way doing this many times, is that that's the whole point of having your coach there. The more information you can give them, the more feedback you can give them before, after the races, and even maybe during a practice. Um, and the more responsibility that you give them as far as writing those workouts and gauging whether you need to be training harder, training lighter, or what type of training you need to be doing, the more responsibility they have, the more they're actually going to be able to do their job and take take the uh, the responsibility, I guess you say, um, from your own performances. You know, if it's a, if it's a great performance, you go back to the coach like, "Hey, this was working. Thanks for that." Or if it doesn't work, you can go back to them and say. I did everything you told me to. What do you think? You know, it, it makes it a little bit easier on the swimmer, and it definitely gives you a better compass for the season and even for a career. Yeah, I was about to say, I think having that two-way street of communication is huge and being able to open with an open mind um, accept any feedback and criticism that they have for you. Uh, Absolutely. Huge. Um, yeah. Speaking of coaches, though, you've had you know a bunch of great ones um, throughout your career here. Uh, what would be like the single best piece of advice that you've received from one of them? The best advice, um, I, I'd say, advice comes to everybody differently. Um, it's definitely unique to the person. Um, I think one of the biggest things that stuck out to me um, in my career uh, that I can think of off the top of my head was um, I remember my freshman year uh, going to the NCAA championship. I was really, really nervous because the entire year I just wanted to qualify, you know, kind of like my Olympic goal. I just really just wanted to qualify. But come March of my freshman year, I'm, I'm at the championship and I'm thinking, I'm, I, I, this is it. This is the last race, my 1650. I'm going to try and go for a podium spot. So I went to my coach and I thought, you know, I think, you know, it, it couldn't have been more than an hour before the race. I said, I think my best bet is to go more aggressive up front and see if I can hang on longer. And he kind of turned to me nonchalant and was like, Zane, you don't die. It's just going to hurt a hell of a lot more. <laughs> and it just, you know, I don't know whether he was digging deep for that one or not, but it really hit me. I was like, He's right. I have yet to really fade on a race this season. You know, I, I, it's just how much pain am I going to be willing to put up with? And, you know, it, it hit me in the moment that it was more of a unique thing, but I guess it can be, it can be generalized, you know, with the whole, you know, pain barrier kind of thing, how, you, you know, it, it really de- de- depends on how much pain you're willing to put up with. And that's that's really the moment when I learned that, and it, it made a big difference. I was able to drop another 10 more seconds in that race than the previous year, and it, it kind of opened my eyes, like, it, this, this is really kind of how things are going to go. As far as hard and as far as I want to push things is really dependent on what I want to happen. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt, like, an event such as the 1650 is going to really push that pain threshold and push you to kind of that brink of it. Um, Obviously to help you out with that, the training has to be there and the training is not for the faint of heart either. What does a typical week of training look like for you? For me, I'd say when I was racing my best and training my best and doing everything right, uh, the week was jam packed. I was lifting three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but in the water, I was doing 10 workouts, doubling Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, 
with singles on Wednesday, Saturday. Um, it was pretty close to two hours in the morning, two hours at night, um, about two hours for every workout. And I'd say I was probably pushing about seventy-five to 80,000 yards in a week, which is about 45 yeah. miles. <laughs> yeah. That's more than uh, some people are running for marathon training. <laughs> I mean, that's more than I can run right yeah. now, so... No, that's that's impressive. Um, how do you mentally kind of keep it there and stay up for those grueling hours of training? Because I'm sure there's, I mean, probably more times than not, there's probably practices that that alarm goes off and you're like, okay, like, do I have to put in another ten grand here or something like that? How do you combat that and stay your mind on the goal? Mm, there's definitely a couple different strategies that I employ. Um, two that I can think of off the top of my head is first off, um, I'm a very creature of habit, you know, so being able to build in routines of, you know, not only practice schedule, but types of practices and stuff like that, um, really helps me focus on one thing at a time. And, you know, every Monday afternoon, we're doing the same kind of workout every Tuesday morning, we're doing the same kind of workout. It kind of follows a pattern. And, um, that really helps me, you know, kind of get out of bed the next day. Be like, okay, it's not just the same thing every time. Like, okay, now it's the, it's the Wednesday morning practice. I know exactly what kind of practice that is. Let's see if I can beat what I did last week. You know, you don't have to compare it to the 30 practices you've done in the last three weeks. You can just compare it to the two or three you've done in the last month. Um, so it really kind of helps, you know, narrow things down when I break it up like that. Also, in a more general sense, breaking things into chunks. You know, you don't have to think about it like, don't wake up Tuesday morning and think, oh, I've got eight more workouts to go this week and I'm already exhausted. Like, that's just not going to help you get out of bed. That's not going to help you get to the pool and be motivated. You just got to think, okay, I've got the Tuesday morning workout. It's just like the one I did last week. Let's see if I can beat that. I got one workout and then I'm taking a nap, eating breakfast, you know, moving on with the thing. You got to break it up into chunks and take it one bite at a time. You know, they always say one step at a time, one day at a time, however you want to look at it. You break it up into smaller chunks, it's a lot easier to take. Yeah, I think that's the best piece of advice for people looking to appreciate the process and focus on that a little bit more is take it one practice at a time. Take it one set at a time even. I know people yeah. that freak out when they see the entirety of the set. I don't know if you've had coaches that sent, I've had some that sent out the workout like two hours beforehand. And there was usually two types of people in my, on my team. It was type one would be like, Oh my God, did you see like the workout that we have to do? Oh, I don't, this is gonna be insane. And then the other people were like, Oh yeah, I saw the first set. And like, yeah, let's like focus on that. See how I feel. And then we'll move on to the next one. And, it just kind of rolls from there. I think that's a way more, I guess, precise way of the same approach that you took as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, that it explains exactly um, the type of mindset I think you should have. You know, the whole... It, people ask me all the time, do you, do you know what we're doing in practice? Do you know what we're doing? And I go, nope, nope. <laughs> and eventually you guys are going to remember not to ask me anymore because I don't really care. I don't even look into it. It gets to the point where even when the coaches are printing out the workouts and giving us a piece of paper to look at in the water... I won't even know what the main set is until we get to it. I won't even look ahead on the paper. I'll simply just check the warm-up out, hit the warm-up the best I can do. You know, occasionally I'll hear some words like, oh, this is really hard, harder than normal. I may check it out, and it may need a little extra preparation, whether it's harder or easier, kind of stuff like that. But usually, like, I won't, I won't even know until it hits me, you know, and I think that's the best way to do it. Um, just take it as it is, you know. You know it's going to be a hard workout. They always are. 
you just you just get ready for it the best you can. You show up, and you got to be ready for anything. Especially at the programs that you've been a part of at this point in your career. Um, yeah. Like IU <laughs> is historically known for <laughs> grueling workouts. You kind of knew what you were going to get uh, going to a program like that. Yeah, uh, definitely. The, the, the workouts I've done here are far and away harder than anything I've ever done or even thought I could possibly do. And by, by keeping that mindset, it, it, really, it really is good mental training, too, to know that if you can show up to any workout and be ready for what they got, you can show up to any race, no matter who's in it or how you feel, and, you, and you'll have the same kind of mental training behind you, ready for anything. Trust me, I, when I talk with Bob a lot, it's half the time I'm just in awe of hearing what you all have to go through <laughs> um, and the times that are associated with a lot of practices and stuff. It's, there's a reason why a program like that is at the level that it's at and why it continually produces swimmers like yourself. Um, the proof is there. It's in the process. It's in all the hard work, the mental training that you guys put in. Uh, what would be your biggest piece of advice for that next generation of athlete, either to get through the current situation that we're in or just in general? Um, I'd say a big piece of advice that's, it's, it's easier said than done. And it's definitely one that it's taken me many years and I still am working on it myself is not to compare yourself to others too much. Um, if I had a nickel for every person that oh, I, I thought it was a competitor and thought, wow, they're so fast. Am I ever going to be that fast or as good as them? Find a nickel for every person that I said that about, and then now I am faster and better than. You know, I'd be I'd be a millionaire, and it'd be life would be easy. But it's just you. you the best the best way you can do it is kind of put your nose to the grindstone and 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 really focus on yourself. Um, the coach that I've had for the last four or five years, um, a lot of people um, come to me and they're like, you know, you you get along with this guy so well. He's always yelling. He's always so mad and everything. I said, that's just because you're doing it wrong. And they're like, how do I do it right? I said, it, it, does, it doesn't really matter how fast you go. It does, you know, what all this coach cares about is what you need to be doing in the moment. If you show up and you do the right technique and you give your best effort, that's all you can ask. And that's all you need to do, you know. And it, and it, it seems so simple, but it's so hard to integrate, you know, not, not, not being able to just get in there and want to swim as fast as possible and compare yourself to other people and get down on yourself, you know. There's a reason we put eight lanes in a pool, you know, not just a one-lane pool, to, you know, as a time trial to see everybody who can do what they can do on their own. There's a reason we, we, we watch races and there's a reason we, you know, have we can see through our goggles and we can see these races and we can actually compete against other people. There is a time and a place for the competitive nature. It, it helps, obviously, to have it during a race. And there are moments when it helps to have it during a practice. But there are many times, like when you're really tired or you're really unmotivated, to not compare yourself, not to look around. You know, some, sometimes there you're, you're in the middle of that plateau and you're thinking, you know, so-and-so's doing what I'm doing, but they're doing way better. you, you got to knock that off. you got to really just focus on yourself and just keep telling yourself, I do the right technique, I give it my best effort, it's going to go somewhere, you know, and you just keep checking in with your coach, make sure you're doing things the right way, just like that, and it kind of comes back around. Yeah, that internal focus, I feel like, is is very hard for a lot of people, and the more people I've talked to, kind of at the level that you're at in the sport, a lot of people struggle with that, um, whether it's expectations of medals at major meets like the Olympics or NC2As, it's 
it's a challenge. It takes a lot of learning and a lot of maturity to be able to use it to help motivate you for the result. But at the end of the day, it's about what you do and only what you do. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's exactly. a tough thing to learn and it takes practice. It's not something you can just do overnight. Absolutely. Uh, how are you staying positive kind of during these uncertain times? I know, you know, with Tokyo being moved back a year, um, what are you doing right now to try to stay up and stay engaged? Um, well, part of me is thinking, man, I'm getting behind. I'm not in the water. I'm not training the way I'm supposed to be. I'm, I'm, I'm getting behind everyone. And the other part of me is thinking, am I really getting behind everyone else? I think a lot of people are in the same boat. In fact, some people may have taking more time off now than I have um it kind of just feeds it back into that comparing moment you know um keep things small and do the best that I can do you know whether I, I actually I I have an engineering degree whether I like to con- consider myself a builder or an engineer or however I do it uh, I have a knack for just kind of creating things and building things I created this wood plank pulley system that I can kind of replicate a swimming movement on and you know that's making me feel better Mentally, knowing that I can, you know, uh, pull down with my lats and my biceps and triceps and kind of go through a swimming motion, I can work that every day. Um, I'm, I'm getting better at running. That's keeping me positive, knowing that, you know, here's something I can be competitive at and I can challenge myself to get better. And I know it's going to be helping my aerobic system with swimming. I just made some dumbbells out of concrete. You know, there's something <laughs> I knew how to do or something I learned about on the internet. And I thought, hey, this is something I, that could help me. It gives me more options for working out and just kind of add a little bit more here and there. I'm finding new ways to stay creative with my ab workouts and um, different yoga classes to stay flexible. It's definitely thing I could uh, I could get a head start on before I get back in the water is increasing my flexibility. It, it really gives me the time to... Um, kind of get creative and understand what I think will benefit me most in the long run, whether it's the running or the swimming movements and stuff like that. It's helping me stay creative and kind of, kind of, kind of taking it one day at a time, doing the best I can on each day and knowing that eventually I'm going to get back in the water, I'll put my nose to the grindstone and I'm just going to get back on the trail. Yeah. I love the innovation you have there. It sounds like you made one of the, what were they, a Vespa or Versa trainers. Um, I think I think it's Vasa. Okay, I, I couldn't yeah. remember the exact name of it, but I. It sounds like you almost made a homemade version of one of those. I may have copied the plans from a uh, commercial <laughs> product, but uh, it's homemade. Yeah. Hey, I mean, if it works, maybe you can uh, license it and uh, start producing your own. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look into the patent process. <laughs> um, I think that's awesome. How kind of with obviously. Like I said, the uncertainty and stuff being moved. How does this kind of impact your goal setting? Is it the goal still, I guess now 2021 uh, Olympic team? Uh, definitely. Definitely, yeah. You know, my ultimate goal has always been make that Olympic team. And a lot of people have asked me, what does this mean? What does it mean? It just means I train for another year. You know, it just means I got one more year longer. Um, to be honest, I think the absolute best thing I could have been doing for my training in this moment, actually before this all happened, was to take a break. You know, and it was it was a hard pill to swallow knowing that I was like, oh, I only got a few more months, but I got to keep I got to keep it. I got to keep on it and, and, and really keep grinding. But the fact that now I can't be in the water, part of me is like, oh, this is kind of nice. This is maybe what I needed physically and mentally. Um, 
hopefully this break doesn't last too long. But um, yeah, it, it, it means that once I get in the water, you know, things go back to normal. I just got, you know, we'll take it one step at a time. We have national team Zoom calls once a week updating us with the news that's coming in so frequently and everything's so changing you know this meets canceled this meets canceled but we're finding new dates for olympic trials they're going to be rescheduling the pro series and everything's changing you just kind of take it one day at a time figure out what the plan's going to be every day it may change hourly you just i just i just gotta know that um when i when i do get back in the water things go right back to normal i start training again hitting the hitting this you know the same kind of training regiment and start working towards that ultimate goal. Yeah, I think the one positive out of all of this is, like anything, like if you've ever dealt with injuries or any time in your career where you weren't able to do what you love to do, whether it's swimming or another sport, it makes you appreciate that ability so much more. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, that appreciation and you kind of can come back rejuvenated in a lot of senses, mentally and physically. Uh, from all this, I think yeah. a lot of people will rebound in a positive way from everything. Yeah, definitely. If you if you are committed to your goals and your purpose, then you'll you'll be able to jump back into things refreshed and refocused and possibly in a better mindset than you ever have been. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. Um, obviously, I want to just thank you and acknowledge you, Zane. I. Being a distance swimmer, you were definitely one of those guys that, I mean, you talked about chasing guys faster. Um, I looked up to, to you as kind of that next level of person and competitor. So it's kind of surreal to be able to talk with you and just, you know, get to know you a little bit better here. Where can those people listening in here kind of keep up with you? And as you kind of are chasing those aspirations and those dreams of whether it's next summer or beyond, uh, yeah, well, first of all, Corey, I really appreciate that, man. I've I've always had idols and goals. I've or, uh, people I've looked up to in the swimming world, and it's it's always interesting when you you know get to meet them. They say don't meet your heroes, stuff like that, because <laughs> you always got to expect something on the the worse side. But you know, I I I I'll never forget a guy I met. Um, he was on my club team, but he had to have been about eight years older than me. Um, I wanted to be like this guy. He was such an amazing swimmer. That's that's everything and everything I wanted to be. And I remember one time him coming back from college and um, having a practice with us, and we were playing a game. And I think it was like a, like an ultimate frisbee kind of thing with a football in the pool. And he threw a long one to me, and I caught it. And uh, first, I was proud of myself, but having this guy come up to me and just praise me for you know that moment and working hard and and telling me that i got you know big things on the horizon it really made a difference you know and it it, it not just inspired me to keep working but it, it made me realize like hey that's what i want to be i, I don't want to just be a fast swimmer i want to be someone on the outside of the pool who's like wow this is actually a really cool person too so a little tangent there but you know i always strive to try to be my best inside outside the pool you know because swimming will never last but the friends you make along the way will um yeah i i i'm, I'm still digging the social media game um doing my best as an introvert to <laughs> keep parts of my life public and let them know when i'm training and even when things aren't going well but uh yeah i'm uh, i've got a facebook page i've got an instagram page um i've got a twitter page that's pretty much the big three um 
If you're looking me up on Instagram or Twitter, um, I spelled my name phonetically, C-A-N-E-G-R-O-W-T-H-E-E. It's kind of funny. But uh, most of my pages are public, so you should be able to find me with a couple Google searches. No, no uh, YouTube uh, vlog appearances with your buddy uh, Cody. Or... No, definitely not that open for me. <laughs> I get it. I'm I'm more or less the same way, so I totally understand. <laughs> well, Zane, again, I appreciate the time, man. Uh, stay healthy. Uh, stay in shape. You know, working towards what you want to accomplish here, and I'll definitely be watching along the way. Of course, Corey. Thanks for having me. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Zane. He preaches self-awareness and communication with coaches and teammates as cornerstones for his success. How have your own levels of self-awareness been lately? Could they be improved? Don't be afraid to use those support systems around you, maybe through a coach, a friend, or parents, to help you out with your process. That's the first step in taking control of your own success. If you haven't done so already, send this episode to a friend, family member, or teammate who could use an extra boost. Stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by following us on Instagram, at Athletic Mindset Podcast. And remember, if you can change your mindset and how you think, you'll be able to change your life one thought at a time. I'll see you all next week.